Welcome to Tiger Paw Radio, the podcast that tackles all the challenges and opportunities of channel convergence. If you provide managed IT, managed print, VoIP, security, or other technology-driven services for your customers, this podcast is for you. Tiger Paw Radio, exploring channel convergence, one stripe at a time. Well, hi everybody, Wes McDonald here, and I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of Tiger Tube. And if you can't see me or my guest, that means you're listening to us on Tiger Paw Radio, so thank you very much. Really excited today to have a couple of awesome guests from the Canada Group and the Canada Report. You probably know them already. And as is my habit, I like to let my guests introduce themselves. So CJ, why don't we start with you? Sure, I'm CJ Canada, President and CEO of the Canada Report, and thrilled to be here. Uh, it's great to be here with you, Wes, today. Well, that's awesome. I can't thank you enough for your time. And uh, Scott, maybe you can introduce yourself or audience. Absolutely. I'm Scott Cullen. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Canada Report, and I'm happy to be here as well. <laughs> well, awesome. And hey, I'm going to jump right into it, right? So, Please. you know, the Canada Report and your group has been around for as many years as I've been in the office equipment industry, and I know for a lot longer than that. Um, so maybe just give us a little history of the Canada Report and its, and its work uh, in the channel over the years, right? So I'm, I'm sure most or some people know about this, but just share some of the highlights with us. Sure. Uh, interestingly enough, and I'll, I'll spend less time on, on its inception and more time, I think, on what's occurred over the past 10 years. How did the Kanata Report start? Well, it, uh, Frank always wanted to write. Um, that really was his burning passion. He's a reader and a writer. Um, he had an opportunity in, uh, I think, 1981 or early, yeah, 1981, uh, when he went out on his own as a consultant, his first assignment was with Konica and Minolta, then of course, separate companies. He did a consulting assignment for them, did an incredible amount of research, gave the Japanese what he felt they were looking for, and then said to them, and they were happy with the assignment. Um, I think he waited to make sure they were happy with the assignment. <laughs> and, uh, and then said, hey, look, you know, I've done all this other research. Uh, would you mind, as long as I don't share anything that was proprietarily done for you, um, can I use this for my own purposes? I'd love to start, you know, a newsletter, newsletter. I'd love to start seeing what I can do with this information. And the Japanese, interestingly enough, and I think this is culturally very interesting, um, said, yeah, no problem. I was thinking an American company would probably be thinking, that's a great idea, but how can I kind of cash in on that? Can I license part of that? Or yeah, you can do that, but I want a piece of the back end. But the Japanese, you know, they got, I always thought that that was interesting. They got um, what they were looking for and, and you know, wished Frank, uh, you know, well in his merry way and thankful to this day, uh, Konica Minolta emerged now, as we all know, we're still doing business with them um, and uh, really enjoy doing business with them. So that's, uh, that's how we started. Now and let's fast on, forward a little bit because my experience with the Canada Group since day one has been with you. So yep, when sure. you sort of came into the organization, what kind of you know things Excuse were you me. looking at uh, either to keep the same or to change or what kind of innovations have you seen? Absolutely, there are two things initially. First, digitization. We had absolutely, we had no digital presence. We didn't, we had a website, but I think there was like a holding page that wasn't even like designed. It was just like a, I don't know what, but something very <laughs> unprofessional. We had no digital content presence. And the other thing was, um, you know, as a marketer, which as many people in the industry know, knows is my background, I got right away Forget what I thought I knew before I worked for Frank. From the first meeting I went to with Frank, I saw what a big deal he was. And I'm thinking what he puts out in terms of how it looks is not 
tantamount to his brand, not just who he is and and his uh, uh, his experience and, and and our experience as a company and all of that, but how he dresses, how he speaks, um, how good he is off the cuff, how professional, how polished. That's that's the word. So I wanted to make everything that we did. I would say, Frank, everything that you have to do has to look like that including the Kanata Report event, which is why we stopped doing roasts, by the way. Um, so there was a big rebranding effort. And the first thing that we did in addition to, to complement the digitalization, or maybe this came first, was to take the Kanata Report and evolve it from a newsletter to more like a coffee table, um, well, there's a perfect bound, glossy magazine. And that's what, what we wanted to create at that time. Uh, elevate the brand uh, with the goal of diversifying our client base. We had six big, big clients at the time. Now we have, you know, 25 or 30 at any given time of all different sizes, which I, we felt was important to sustain our business as things continue to evolve and change. And of course, good for every business, big clients, small clients, um, things that are more expensive to do for clients, less expensive to do so that you've got a, you've got as much balance as possible. Well, that's great. And I love this spirit of innovation uh, that you definitely embrace. And I do love the format um, of the magazine, that it really does have that polish that you're talking about. And just as importantly, um, the polish uh, to the information and the articles that are inside. And, and that kind of gives me a little segue over to you, Scott. So maybe give me a little background on when you joined the organization, what kinds of things you've been doing, you know, with the, uh, with the writing schedule, et cetera. Okay, sure. Uh, I think I've been with the company now for five and a half years. The time has really flown. And I have been in the industry since 86, starting with a end user uh, office trade publication, and uh, which morphed into a second publication, Office Dealer Magazine. So I've been writing for dealers actually since 88. There are very few publications from 86, 88, 90 that are still around. And when I had the opportunity to join CJ and Frank, I just jumped at it because I was going to the premier publication in the industry. So what I've brought to the uh, Kanata Report is sort of a journalistic uh, perspective. I like to think of myself as one of the longest lasting true journalists still in this industry. There's plenty Absolutely. of good ones. CJ and Frank have really given me an opportunity to help guide the editorial, come up with the themes, the concepts, add to what was there already. I now have taken over like 90% of the annual survey from Frank. I do rely on him a lot for his insights, and he also does some of the uh, tabulations uh, on the results. But it's it's really a fun opportunity to help CJ navigate the new look, feel, and direction of the Kanata Report these past five and a half years. You know, one of the things I can say, you sort of touched on this this idea of a journalistic approach. And I've obviously done, you know, some interviews with you over the years, and I've always really appreciated that um, because the questions are honest, they're earnest, and the production of the materials uh, doesn't hold back. So it's never negative, but it's always honest. And I really, uh, I really love what you guys are doing there. Hey, so, so let's move to where we are, these uh, current realities. And before we actually started recording, we were having a little chit chat, kind of talking a little bit about these, you know, current realities, right? So 
what I'd like to do, and maybe CJ, I'll start with you, is get your take on where we are in the process of getting back to normal. I don't believe in going backwards, period, there, in, in anything. You cannot go backwards. There's no going back to a better time. There's no going. You can only move forwards in life, in business, in relationships. Um, so there will be something new. What is, I guess you could call it a new normal, but it won't be the same as before. Um, what, what will it be? Um, I think that's hard to say because there are so many it's not just the pandemic that we're dealing with in a lot of cases the pandemic is not the biggest problem it's the economic and sociological and political um instabilities if you will but i actually go so far as to say that uh to, to some degrees and so and in a lot of cases that are really the larger problem here um so uh, getting back to getting back to a new normal, what I ultimately think is going to, and you'll, you're seeing it happening right now, uh, supply chain and chip issues, I think, pragmatically are among the biggest problem in terms of getting back to whatever a new normal might look like. Um, but aside from that, I think you, you're seeing big businesses and enterprise accounts, which is kind of interesting because they're typically, uh, they're typically aligned with more conservative section of, of uh, society, beginning with enterprise businesses. You could look at what Delta is doing, what companies in Silicon Valley are doing, different kinds of companies, Coca-Cola, um, and what some of these companies have started doing early on, in part because they're global companies that have global brands and need to be concerned about how they're perceived, how they do business all over the country. But also, they pragmatically want to get back to work, and they're going to this may sound like a strange statement, take the path of least resistance. Every path has resistance. Um, some of the policies implemented by some of these enterprise companies um, are, you know, are, are being hit with lawsuits and this or that, but I'm sure those companies, and I've read things to this degree, are thinking about, well, yeah, but it would be worse if, you know, my companies, were, if, if my employees were getting sick and I had, and I had those types of issues to contend with. Uh, so I think, um, regardless of my opinion you're seeing that you're seeing you're seeing enterprise businesses put whatever they are they're different but restriction they are putting restrictions into place even from dealers who yeah we're you know in our local area it's not really a problem but i can't get into this enterprise account and it's not a big problem right now because we don't do that much enterprise business but you know within the next month we're gonna have to do something meaning we're gonna have to do something else and maybe something that i may not personally agree with or want to do, but we got to get back to work and we need to be able to get in to see these accounts. Yeah, I love I love what you're saying there about this pragmatism, right? And kind of the image that I have in my mind, you know, it, it's an it's an old image that's been used for many years, right? And if I look at, you know, kind of a rock uh, in a river, right? And that rock is how we feel about something. So e either side, you know, choose a side. But pragmatism is that water that actually finds its way around the rock and says, no, this is the path of least resistance, right? So I think you're right. I think it is, uh, again, there's no easy answer to any of this, but that pragmatic approach, I hadn't really thought that much about it, kind of tying it into a lot of the other uh, socioeconomic realities that surround us, but how can we be free of those, right? So so Scott, what's your take on that, sort of on, the, on, on what you see uh, for current realities? Doesn't have to be tied to pragmatism. Is there anything else, you know, that you'd like to add? Well, let me, let me, let me talk about remote hybrid work. Uh, I've been working remotely for, I think, 23 years now. Okay. It, you, you as well. And for some of us, it's nothing new. And I remember people telling me, how do you do it? I wouldn't have the discipline. And 
I work in a deadline-oriented business, so if you want to get paid, you've got to meet your deadlines. And I think that can apply to virtually any remote work situation. And I firmly believe people are going to figure it out. And in a few years, no one's going to be discussing the impact of remote or hybrid work because it's going to be a common scenario. Now, my partner, Mary, she's an engineer, buildings, HVAC, et cetera. And her company has a number of offices. They're based here in New Jersey, but they also have offices in Philadelphia, New York. They just closed their New York office. They feel they don't need it anymore. Uh, employees have the option of working from home a couple of days a week. And this was after the pandemic when they were working from home 24-7, which, let me be honest here, it's certainly cramped my style when you're used to being home alone all day. And then all of a sudden, somebody <laughs> else is working in the other room. What her company is seeing is a lot of contraction in with clients in larger offices and large, big buildings. And so they're doing a lot of office redesigns. Companies don't need as much space now. And um, her business is picking up. They're busier than ever, partially because of that and partially because projects that were put on hold are picking up. So what does that tell you about the future of remote or hybrid work? Yeah. It's interesting. And a lot of the dealers I've spoken with as well, you know, when they were forced kind of into sending people home and, and looking at these locations, like, yeah, closing down some of these locations has been some of the best things we could have done, right? Like it's, it's almost like an albatross. You're so used to paying the money and having those locations and, and in using those workflows. Um, Calgary in my country, which is a, a big oil business, right? The oil boom sure. you know, built a yeah, lot yeah. of buildings in downtown Calgary and with all the remote work there and, and the double whammy of the, you know, the hit kind of on the uh, tar sands and the oil industry, a lot of those buildings were empty and people are turning them into interior farms. So they're basically, you know, grow ops for, you know, tomatoes and lettuce and kale and, you know, all these kinds of things. Right. So it is funny. That's something that has never happened before, but this innovation that's happening that always surprises me, this new normal, it's really fascinating to watch. Right. And yeah, Scott, I'm with you this, I'm, I'm much more productive in a, a remote environment. And no, not, not everybody is, right? It's not a blanket statement, uh, but certainly for me, because I've worked in a, in a remote space, I think for about 20 years now, that you know, certainly it is nothing new for us. And I do enjoy sometimes when you get people asking you know, for advice, like just little, little things, right? That you take for granted as you're, as you're moving through the, your day. How do you do this? How do you manage that, et cetera, right? So appreciate that. Um, I mean, can I, Wes, yeah, also, please, I, go ahead. I just wanted to add one thing. I think the real question here is not necessarily how many employees will be coming back to work, but how often. Ah. And I think that, I think that's the question. And that's really difficult to answer because aside what I've said about enterprise accounts across the country and the globe being um, more arduous, if that's the right word, in terms of putting restrictions into place surrounding COVID, whatever they might be. Um, I think geography, just like you know, geography is going to play a big role in, I think, what that ratio looks like, um, as well as uh, type of business and, uh, um, and the culture of the company. I think because so. To Scott's point at the very culture. beginning, getting, getting, getting to dealers, um, we had some dealers right away out of the gate say, what do I need all this space for? I, there's four people in the office and all, everyone's doing fine. Um, we're doing great. And that was, you know, within a month. Well, a year and a half later, that same dealer and others 
had different opinions. Like people weren't being as efficient working from home. They were, you know, so to your point, you know, it, it's, it's a skill like everything else. I think interview processes will change. I think uh, what's required um, uh, to be an employee of different kinds of companies, particularly with hybridization is gonna be a type of personality that can respond to that. We have a different dynamic now, younger people come into the office, right? So, you know, how about that? If, if we have a younger workforce coming to the office place, what does the future of volumes look like for print? Well, I'll, st I'll start with that. And I'm not a young person by any stretch. I wish I, I wish I were, I feel young, but I rarely print. I, 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 I had, I had a printer. It's, we actually have one in the other room. I can probably count on one hand, the number of times in a year that I pressed print. Okay. I look at my youngest daughter. She's 24, never prints. She doesn't even have a printer. So I know one per young person doesn't represent a generation, but you show me a young person who prints a lot and I'll show you uh, someone who's totally out of step with the times. And, you know, I was speaking with um, a dealer when I was at the show last week and he said one of the fascinating things was that his uh, kids go to a, a school and it's like it also has a section where, you know, less fortunate kids exist. So there used to be this digital divide, right, where, you know, richer kids would have access to this digital technology and then, you know, poorer kids wouldn't, right? And I'm not saying it doesn't still exist, but he was saying in that school environment that the school is now providing uh, Chromebooks or similar, you know, things to every child, right? Like all the kids, because, you know, they're selling them at like $125, like for a wholesale cost to a school, right? It's unbelievable, you know, and that's the digital technology. Like you said, that sharing platform, uh, once it becomes that ubiquitous, uh, once uh, people are uh, really learning that way, that's what they're going to take into the office in the future as well, right? Another real world example, using my partner, Mary, again, and her engineering firm and everybody working from home. At one time when they were in the office, they used to be printing out tons and tons of blueprints. They're doing all that on screen. I mean, they used to have a white, they still have a white format printer that would handle all that output. It hardly ever gets used anymore. So I, I'm not, I don't want to discourage dealers who are thinking, you know, from uh, thinking that white, not thinking that white format is a good diversification opportunity because it is in certain markets, but in that engineering field, the current uh, crop of people working there, and I'm sure the future generations are not going to be printing as much if any of those blueprints when they can do it and make changes and all of the things they used to do on paper and now that they can do it on screen. I've often thought about that actually when we talk about kind of wide format and even with, you know, kind of the uh, quote unquote, the A4 revolution, which has, by the way, been around for a long time, um, is that how could how could they not be free from some kind of digital disruption as well right you know it's uh and and i think as as our dealer community and how we support it that we've got to help them kind of embrace that like you said find out where those niches are but to go in wide eyes wide open and say here's some of the challenges that you're going to face when they start doing these kind of workflows right absolutely and the good news is i think there's money to be made uh in those programs that help them to actually digitize those floor plans and stuff, right? And other things. And that's probably something we'll jump into a bit there. And uh, I just actually did an interview uh, with Jeff Bendix for a presentation I had to give. 
And he says that he's leading with security every single time now, right? That it has become kind of the cornerstone of what he does and print follows that. So he just kind of folds it in, right? Starts with security and then wraps everything sure. else in that. So I love it. So cybersecurity. Um, and Scott, what about you? So we just uh, published our 36th annual dealer survey and on the managed IT front, 46% of the dealer surveyed offered managed IT. Not necessarily a surprising number there. And most of those were dealers with revenues over 10 million. Okay. And when we look at growth opportunities for dealers, cybersecurity is one of the top hottest growth opportunities showing up in our survey. So we've got data. One of the companies that we're going to be watching next year is Visual Edge IT. They're making a strong uh, move in that direction. So I think it's going to be something we're going to be talking about, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for the foreseeable future. It is a strong diversification opportunity for dealers who have the resources to go in that direction, but there's also plenty of help out there. And the and one other organization that I think is going to be introducing a managed IT component next year is Keypoint Intelligence. I've been talking to them a lot lately and- And an they, e-commerce platform. And an e-commerce platform. And yep. that's something else that we might talk about as a trend going forward because uh, how did you buy the last thing you purchased, Wes? How did you do it? Well, I, I'm a big fan of buying things online because we've had to. And I actually set up my wife's uh, physical store uh, with an online uh, retail presence so that she's now an online you know, seller as well, right? It was out of necessity in the beginning, but how, how she could live without it before, right? You have, you know, in her case, uh, moms that are stuck at home and they want something, they can't get out because the kids or, you know, some of their obligation. And so she has a delivery service now for online, you know, platform, right? So it is, it is pervasive, like in every single aspect of our, our society, right? I just say, look out, obviously it is not a topic that can be ignored, e-commerce. Um, and you will see more from us on that topic where, as Scott pointed out, we're having a lot of conversations with a lot of people, uh, both companies like Keypoint that are offering services to actually, you know, to different dealers and others in the segment. Uh, but you'll definitely be seeing, you know, you'll be seeing more on that. Again, it's not something that can be ignored. You know, what's the right balance? What are all the challenges? How do we see that unfolding? And what might be the best way for it to unfold for our space? So we're at the point in the interview now where if you just had one piece of advice for dealers out there uh, that are navigating into 2022, what would that be? You need to decide as a dealer and any company needs to do this at any now and when they're starting or rebranding or what have you. What kind of company you want to be going back to basics? What what, do you want to, for example, do you want to be a company that services the office? Do you want to be a company that specializes in printing? Do you want, you know, what do you, what, what, who do you want to, what type of clients do you want to be servicing? And therefore then you have to back in, what are, what is the reality of their needs today? That is one of, uh, that's what one thought leader said his approach was very successful entrepreneurial minded guy. So I would leave dealers with that. Got to kind of go back to what kind of company do I want to be? What kind of clients do I want and what do they need? And how do I adjust myself if to a greater or lesser degree 
to to be successful or dominant. Uh, I love that answer goal. because it's not a, it's not a question of everyone's doing this. Maybe I should too, uh, because once you have that lens of what kind of company do I want to be and who do I want to serve, then those answers start to come naturally, right? And Scott, what about you? Do you have one? I certainly do. So my, my advice to dealers and, and, and for any dealer who's been around for a long time and watching us, I don't think this is going to surprise them because it's probably something they've done and it's don't be afraid to change. It's hard, it's scary, it's, it's necessary. I mean, I look at someone, I mean, looking at the Kanata Report, Frank, at his advanced age, he's he's older than CJ <laughs> by you know quite a few. You can years. say it because he doesn't stop talking about it. So <laughs> I, I now prefer to underscore his age and that he's still working. You know, vibrant he is because as a marketer, you can't you can't not talk about it. Then you might as well talk about it as loudly as you can. And okay, then so Frank's in his eighties. He wasn't afraid to bring in CJ. Afraid to bring in me. Afraid to have us change the dynamic and the look and feel of the Kanata report. So we are more relevant today than we've ever been. And if someone like Frank, who's been around forever and will be around forever can do it. I think any dealer, you know, we're, we're, has any interest in continuing their dealership going into the future. They'll do it. They they'll do it as well. But I think most of the, these dealers who may be watching us and they've been around, as I said earlier, have been around for a while. They've, they've been doing it all along. So listen, I cannot thank you guys enough for doing this interview with me today. It is fun for me to finally be on the other end of the camera in the interview uh, to be able to bring some of uh, your insights and visions uh, to my viewing and, and listening public. So I cannot thank you guys enough. And I look forward to seeing you guys uh, at an event soon. For everyone that's tuned in today, I want to thank you very much for watching another episode of TigerTube or listening to TigerTube Radio. And until next time, keep learning. And so we come to the end of another exciting episode of Tiger Paw Radio. If you'd like to listen to more great learning content to help you grow your business, please be sure to visit www.tigerpaw.com and click on the Resources tab. You can also subscribe to your favorite podcast platforms to be sure you never miss another episode. And until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and keep that inner tiger strong.